welcome to the show. I'm glad you guys could make it today. Um, we wanted to talk to you because we always want to talk to you, but um, you know, you guys have the n- new podcast that just launched, uh, and uh, it's different than what you've done before. So, if you guys want to, you know, fill us in on that, fill the listeners in on that, that'd be uh, awesome. Can you take it away? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the talker out of the two of us. No surprise. Um, yeah. So I th- we actually so this podcast has been we've been trying to do it for over a year now. I think it's actually like close to a year and a half. Um, and we went through several different iterations of it, and eventually settled on what we have now, which is Holly and I. Uh, originally, we were going to it was going to be myself, Holly, and then our um, our video, uh, what was Chino's title? Uh, media manager, media <laughs> executive, vice president of media affairs. I don't feel right calling him a camera guy because he does a hell of a lot more than that. Um, but basically, he was going to he was going to be part of it. Um, but we found that he really wanted to kind of like have you know be a little more like Howard Sternish, which is fine. But it was kind of like. When we had somebody on that was not really nutrition or exercise related, Holly was really quiet. And then if we had somebody on that was nutrition or exercise related, Chino was really <laughs> quiet. And so we kind of really couldn't, we were kind of trying to blend. We had a podcast that probably should be two podcasts. Um, and so we decided that, okay, you know what? This is, this is our wheelhouse in terms of nutrition and fitness. Let's focus on that. Um, you know, if we have anybody brought in, you know, it doesn't have to be like somebody in the industry, but it should have some relationship to fitness. And that's kind of like where we're taking it. And I think the goal is, you know, there's a lot of really good podcasts out there for uh, science, for, for nutrition science and whatnot. I don't want to say a lot, but there's a few. Um, but we're trying to add our little flair to it uh, be educating and entertaining. And that's, that's kind of our goal. And that's kind of with, with the, everybody loved the name. We dropped it, you know, beauty and the geek. We, and I'll take credit. I came up with that. So originally it was since Chino, Chino's from Costa Rica. When we saw Chino involved in the podcast, we were like, all right, we really like beauty and the geek. So what do we do about Chino? Well, the joke is always, he always says he's Mexican because he looks Mexican. Um, even though it's Costa Rican. So the podcast was going to be Beauty and the Geek, dot, 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 and Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> but Beauty and the Geek rolls a little bit better. So that's, that's I'd say we've kind of hit our stride now with the podcast. The first few episodes, we kind of had to trudge through a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, I think he wanted to, it to be more of a live talk show. Yeah. I think if you guys have listened to Howard Stern or anything that's on the radio, really, um, it's very free-throwing, but there's a lot of structure to the behind-the-scenes stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think we really wanted it to be, like, disseminating information while still having a bit of fun. So, yeah, I think we've, we've got our group now. Good. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think what's really tough is I'm a big talker and Holly is not. And I'm the kind of person, like, I don't need show notes. I'm going to go in and fly by the seat mm. of my pants and just kind of ask what I want to ask. Kind of more, I guess, more like a Joe Rogan-ish style. I mean, when, you know – when I went was on his podcast, he literally rolled up and just started asking yeah, questions. Yeah. So maybe there, maybe there was some prep time before it, but it, it felt very natural. But I think there's a place for that because that's how a lot of listeners would ask their questions. Right. 
And then Holly is somebody who very much, she wants everything structured out, you know, very, would you say that you're a perfectionist? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but so, but I think that actually makes us a good team because she's going to hit those people who are, who really like that detail oriented stuff. And then I can say, you know, so, yeah, a lot of thought goes into like content creating. You've created content for a long time. I, I mean, we've known each other for a long time now too, but I think I saw articles maybe 2010 on bodybuilding.com or something like that, like oh. a, a decade, I guess now. 2002. 2002 was when I wrote my first article. Yeah, for my yeah I was still in high school, so I didn't read much then. I was avoiding all. <laughs> all. I could go through it. I wasn't born, but that's not quite true. Go on, babe. But like, like you just basically like spoke through the process of making a podcast, and I think it's great, and you are obviously have so much to share, but everyone thinks like, yo, I'll just do a podcast or I'll just do a YouTube. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, man, it ain't that easy. Like, like I we fell into uh, yeah. it whatever eight years ago, and it ended up like working. But sometimes, like you said, it just doesn't work with a format or or a guest or or a co-host or who knows what. There's always little hurdles you have to get around to you kind of find a flow. Um, and it's cool that it's accessible for everyone one to make one. But sadly, content creating probably isn't for all of you. Yeah, and you know, we started off this show with a different format from especially a different format from what we were doing before. And uh, in an attempt to kind of, you know, create some distance and um, I, I stand behind that format. But the reality is that people kind of tend to like this format better where we're just talking and we take like when we're done, I'll figure out what our central question was. You know, <laughs> whatever we spent the most time on, yeah. that'll, be, that'll be the question. I think that's where we should start. We got to dig right into the drama, Lane. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of quacks going around and lists of quacks. And Jip, uh, oh, Kevin, Bass. yes, <laughs> love to see it. Let, let's maybe start with. Uh, so there's a list going around on Twitter uh, of of people that are more reliable sources of maybe nutrition and fitness, and, and then, people who are not, and people you should maybe not listen to it, labeled quacks, which I do like that term. <laughs> Uh, let's start, Lane. Is there anyone on the quack list that doesn't belong? Um, I, I actually, so people think I'm so savage. Um, <laughs> I am pretty savage, but I think Kevin's a little bit more savage this than is, I, I am. I think that's Just a good, good call. Yeah. Um, cause I think there's a, there's, I think like Ted Damon, for example, um, you know, I, I think. I probably wouldn't call him a quack. Um, I think that he dog whistles quacks quite a bit and uses some of that same verbiage. But when push comes to shove, he would he will admit the limitations of the approach of his approach, which is low carbohydrate. Um, whereas you know people who are like my true definition of a quack is if I am like literally showing you this evidence and you're just going no. You know, I, I don't believe it. You know, um, I mean, I had this with um, with with um, kind of Paul Saladino and Sean Baker, you know, where it's like you present evidence and they go, oh, well, that's epidemiology. We don't believe in epidemiology. And then you see them post an epidemiology <laughs> study that fits their narrative. And it's like, OK, do, so do we believe epidemiology or do we only not? when it's convenient? when it supports our bias. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, where I, I, 
in my younger days, before I became the patient lane you see here, um, I probably would have been a little bit more liberal with the quack label. But I would say that overall, I think Kevin got it <laughs> really right. You know, um, you know, I, I had um, uh, for a good example is uh, Tim Noakes. So Tim Noakes, a professor, he did a lot of actually good research on endurance exercise, a lot of the seminal work in endurance exercise and I think rehydration and that sort of thing. But so people, unfortunately, give so much leeway when somebody accomplishes something. You see this with Nobel Prize winners. Like if you go through the list of Nobel Prize winners who actually believed in complete buffoonery by the end of their lives, it's a long list. Like even the gal who discovered radiation, Marie Curie, like I think she believed in like healing crystals by the end. Like so there's there's some people have asked, well, is there a thing where, you know, these people just become crazy because they're so, you know, intelligent, whatever. Linus Pauling, you know, huge doses of vitamin C recommended. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Noakes did this, now is a very big proponent of the low carb diet and actually kind of dog whistles, anti-vax stuff as well. And, you know, right wing stuff as well. It's funny how they like tend to line up. Yeah. I've just noticed this. Um, but in any case, I, I just, he said he did like being called a zealot. So, so I saw that, that tweet where he said, I don't like being called, referred to as a zealot. I said, okay, Tim, answer me this. Would you ever be willing to admit that low carbohydrate is not superior to other dietary approaches? And he did not respond. And I asked it repeatedly, repeatedly over the course of several weeks. And actually finally yesterday, two days ago, I said, okay, Tim, this is my seventh time asking you this question. And somebody goes, well, he's just probably not responding to your, you know, to you. I said, oh, no, he's responded before. So he said his exact words he responded with were, yes, when it isn't. <laughs> so he, he's, he's saying, yes, I'll admit that it's not superior when it isn't. And I said, but you want to give yeah. like any nuance <laughs> to that? Like when is it not? You know, like you have to provide something. Because I can tell you, like, for example, I, I understand how these people get to this point because you try and approach and you find something that works really well for you. And since you're, you're the test subject you care about, you project that to everyone yeah. else and you think that's going to work for everyone else. And I was very much like this when I got into flexible dieting. I wouldn't say that I felt like it was the solution for everybody, but I'm like, oh, yeah, this, you know, this worked for me like this is. You know, this makes dieting easy for me because for me, if you tell me, hey, you can have what you want as long as you mostly hit these macros, like I'm still going to choose pretty reasonable choices. But I found that my diet, my issues with dietary adherence completely went away when I was able to have, you know, autonomy over my choices. Not everyone's like that. And I found that over the course of, you know, 10 years of coaching and I've kind of walked back some of my verbiage on flexible diet saying, hey, this might not be relevant for everybody. But the problem would be if I was still here in 2020 saying flexible dieting is the best way to diet for everybody. Uh, it will improve adherence for everyone, you know, this kind of stuff when I know that that's not true. And I think that people, I always tell people you should um, date your hypothesis, but don't make that whole housewife. <laughs> you know, don't, get, don't get married to your beliefs. That's, that's the problem. I don't see what the problem is with being able to sit in the middle somewhere too it's like you don't have to take an extremist yeah. approach like there is a middle ground like it just seems like a lot of these people are really have a hard time backing down once they've 
made a statement about their belief. And it's like, you know, that that's okay. Like you can change your mm. opinion. Uh, but it's like they totally entangled themselves in their uh, beliefs and that's kind of what they're known for. It's like, well, how can I possibly come out of this? Uh, but they end up just making themselves look worse. So. Yeah, notice we, we are we are we like flexible dieting, but there you don't see flexible dieting in our bio. Yeah. Or it's not you know, IFYM coach or anything like that. Because once you've done that, now it becomes much more difficult to walk that back. You yep. know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I don't get married to my beliefs and people are like, oh, you never admit when you're wrong. I'm like, have you not been paying attention? Like just in the last year, I said, yeah, I don't really recommend branched chain amino acids anymore. I think they have utility. When I have 15 years of me saying, hey, I think branched chain amino acids are good to take. And people will use that against me and they'll say, well, look, you know, you're a hypocrite, this and that. You took money from people. You sold a BCA supplement. Yeah. But at the time, I thought the evidence was compelling enough. I've changed my mind with recent evidence. There's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a great thing. And that's what science does. And I think like <clears throat> one of the things I've noticed is people are seeing in real time now the scientific process, but because they don't understand it, it's frustrating yeah. to them. So with COVID, yeah. You are seeing all these studies that are coming out and we are overreacting to every single study. And I, like, well, like I tell people now, I don't get excited about single studies anymore. Let me wait until we've got a consensus of data and then I'll, then I'll, I'll worry about it, you know, but essentially what's happening right now is we are trying to fly the plane while we're building, yeah. it, you know, and, and people are getting really like, and I'll give an example. Um, with uh, regards to, there was a study that came out kind of showing that asymptomatic transmission may not be as uh, common as we thought mm -hmm. it was. And people came out and they said, well, Fauci recommended this and he said this and he did. Yes, because if you have very limited knowledge, you are going to recommend something that is going to do the least right. harm. Error on the side of safety. Error on the side of safety, for sure. Right. And then somebody else, you know, somebody else, I don't want to get too into COVID <laughs> because then I'm just going to get half the people on it. Instead of 50% facts, it's going to be 50% hate. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, people said, well, you know, he said that we should close down churches. I, I don't know exactly what he said. But my guess is a lot of times these people get asked leading yeah. questions. And as a scientist... So, for example, that may be the news headline, but what he might have actually been asked is, hey, do you think to prevent the spread of COVID, uh, it would help if they closed down churches? And he would say yes, which is probably very yeah. true, by the way. That doesn't mean he, he's specifically saying, hey, go and close down all churches now or you're a bad person for going to church. It just means, hey, his as a scientist dealing in that realm, he is looking at his his main priority is how do I stop as many people from getting sick as I possibly can? And so what is he going to recommend? Of course, he's going to recommend stay home. Don't go out. Don't be around other people. That sort of thing. That doesn't mean that that's necessarily the right answer, mm. but that's the answer he's going to give because that's his perspective. So anyways, unfortunately, people are seeing this kind of rapid 
kind of involvement of science right in front of their eyes, but they don't understand the process enough and don't understand that, hey, it's okay, we have conflicting results in science, this happens all the time, and the way we sort this out is through, you know, years and years of data collection and forming a consensus and having a really good idea about things, but that's going to take time. We'll know five, ten years from now what was the right calls and what weren't the right calls, but we're not going to know that while it's happening. Unfortunately, you've got people, especially politicians and then people in the fitness industry, who just completely attach themselves because they make their decision early and then they don't want to walk it back. But we see this. This isn't just to do with COVID. This is with anything nutrition, fitness related. They don't want to walk it back. And I, we have no problems being wrong. In fact, we would rather come out and say, if we get something wrong and we know it, we are the first people who will say it mm-hmm. because we don't want some other asshole to call us out on it, <laughs> right? Like that, that's the thing. So that's, you know, like um, even cardio, we ch- I've changed my stance on, you know, different forms of cardio over the years. I've changed my stance on uh, volume. I've changed my stance on accessory work, all this different stuff because I get new evidence presented to me. So I always tell people, if you are unwilling to change your position yeah. in light of new data, you're not a, you're not a scientist, you're a politician. I think we even had that example recently with the squat versus hip thrust study uh, out of um, South Africa, sorry, South America. And um, I mean, we both talk, we both spoke pretty openly about that on our channels. Um, and it kind of indicated that, well, it looks like squatting is better for glute hypertrophy. So, like, we went into depth in that, but then recently, uh, a couple of, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Eric Trexler, Greg Knuckles, and those mm-hmm. guys, yeah. um, did some more in-depth analysis on the, like, the actual original data. They did stat porn. Yeah, like, a lot of stats, <laughs> and it came out, like, it's the, the data's probably been falsified. So, oh. I mean, we, like, immediately come out, okay, hey, here's what's actually happened. We made a statement about this. We probably influenced a few people about their decision to squat more frequently, perhaps, but, you know... This is what happens in science. So. Yeah, we, we came out and basically put retractions out, yeah. you know. Um, because, but, like, why would you get married to that? Why would that be your, you know, your thing that you tie your wagon to? Mm. It's so it's so silly. I've never I've never understood it. I love leucine. I did an entire thesis on leucine. Turns out supplemental leucine probably isn't worth a damn. But, hey, that's okay. My research, it doesn't make it, you know, because we really weren't looking at supplemental leucine, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean my research was wasted or anything like that. But yeah, you've got some people who just can't, they can't admit that they got something wrong. And I think a lot of it has to do with narcissism. Um, And actually you find that too. Like I always say like kind of the recipe for this kind of stuff, when you go, I'll actually, when I start to get in debates with these people now, I'll say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to straw man, you're going to false dichotomy, then you're going to ad hominem, and then you're going to appeal to conspiracy. <laughs> That's going to go in that order, okay? I think so. What you what you have is the first thing. Like for example, if I um, if I say something like, "Well, in an energy balance situation or in a caloric deficit, it doesn't appear that sugar consumption." impedes fat loss or has really negative effects on biomarkers based on the studies that that are available to us right now um so somebody else so what what i'll say that and then what somebody will say is you're saying people should eat sugar or you're saying people should eat cookies 
or you're you're promoting pop tarts or junk food. No, 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 no. I didn't say it was a good idea to eat that. In fact, usually what I'll say is it's probably a bad idea to eat a lot of that for you know X Y Z satiety that sort of thing. But I'm also not going to make up fake claims about sugar just because I think it's a bad idea to eat it. It's kind of a Machiavellian. You know, I see vegans do this a lot too, like the crazy vegans. They have kind of a Machiavellian um, thinking where it's the end justifies the means. It's okay to lie about scientific research as long as it results in people eating less animal products. And we see the same thing in the low carb crazy community, which is it's okay to demonize sugar and lie about how bad it is for you as an independent risk factor if it gets people eating less sugar. And then, uh, actually, I had the the Australian orthopedic surgeon who got oh, yeah. uh, his medical license revoked. Yeah. Um, uh, Gary Fetke, I think his name is. He posted, so basically, you know, he couldn't respond to any of my science. He reposted a three-year-old blurry picture of me with a pallet of monsters, <laughs> sugar-free monsters, I'll, I'll point out, behind me and said, see, Big, big sugars reach, you know, goes so far. I'm like, so a product I already used, by the way, has no sugar in it that I got for free somehow disqualifies this evidence I'm bringing up, you know? So it's, it's, it's unfortunate that this is the way that things go, but I mean, it's all, it's the same arguments, whether it's, whether it's, you know, Michael Greger from the vegan community or it's Paul Saladino from the carnivore community, although he uses a lot more scientific jargon, so it sounds mm-hmm. better when it's from him. Um, which, by the way, did you see he's eating carbs now? No. I did you guys see no, this? But no, but I doubt it. That wouldn't surprise me. So, <laughs> maybe he's, maybe he's changing so he's changed from carbs are the devil to now it's, I think it's alpha linolenic acid is the devil is what made everybody fat and sick. Um, because he found he had really poor, like he was not feeling really well. Imagine that, <laughs> just eating all the meat, not feeling well. And he added in like 250 grams of carbs a day from honey and talked about it. But then he said, so obviously it's like, okay, part of me is like, all right, well, at least he's admitting that carbs aren't the devil now. But he's not really because he said, I felt better from an electrolyte perspective. And I'm like, hold up. So – how about all the molecules and honey? <laughs> I know. Like, oh my what, God. About, what about all the micronutrient deficiencies that cause reduction in cognitive function and decreased concentration and immune uh, health? Like, yeah. So <laughs> it's it's. I think the 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 thing to take away is, unfortunately, you know, Greg Knuckles said something on my podcast years ago that I thought was one of the most brilliant things I've ever said. Which, by the way, anybody listening. Full on, I think Greg is probably the smartest person in the fitness industry, if I'm being honest. That's probably true. Um, So shout out to Greg. Um, He said, people are really good when they're talking to someone one-on-one at determining whether or not that person knows more about a subject than they do. What they are really poor at is if two people have more knowledge than they do, who is the more knowledgeable of the two? And I have found that to be very accurate. You know, if you've got two experts that are arguing and throwing around scientific jargon, who do you know who's yeah. right? Well, you're probably just going to side with the person that you like yeah. better. You know what I mean? Yeah, or who's more jacked. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's a big part yeah. of it too, you know, and that's, that's, by the way, I, I put up something on my Twitter the other week that really pissed off a lot of people. I'm like, okay, you guys love anecdotes so much. <laughs> my anecdote is better than yours. I'm just saying, like all you crazy low carbers, my anecdote's better. Like I was second in the world at world championships. I set a world squat record. I've been leaner and more jacked than most of you ever have been. And I did a PhD. So <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but I've got research on my side and my anecdotes fucking better too. So how does that work? I, I totally get like politicians and they're like, whether it be cherry picking or like really stamping their name and their identity. Cause you know, at the end yeah. of the day, they're, they're marketers, yeah. right? They're marketing themselves and that's their number one yeah. job. But in our industry, and I also understand in our industry where people are maybe creating content or they have a product and then they become that yeah. in a way uh, I sell uh, knee sleeves. I'm a power lifter. I sell protein. I'm a bodybuilder, stuff like that. But this list is really interesting because a lot of it is more, um, like science folks, you know, they're PhDs, they're, 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 they're the studious world, academia world, where obviously I'm a fan of you guys because uh, you mix that world. You compete, you coach, yeah. and you have the academia, which is something I'm never going to do. <laughs> Fuck school. But so I look to learn from people like you. But why is it that these people, whether it be the quack list or the non list, so hard identify with something that might not be true or, or, or why aren't they open to learning? Like if you're an academic, what isn't your goal just to learn? Like you, you already explained, right? Like you're open to what comes next. If all of a sudden 20 studies come out and say, uh, steak's going to kill you, you might, you know, look at it different, yeah. but these people seem so driven in their way. Do you think it's a personality trait? You mentioned narcissism, narcissism. Do you think it's, um, are they trying to sell something? Are, are they really trying to do good? I think that's my number one issue. And obviously, sadly, in our world, not a lot of people are just trying to do good things for other humans. Like, that's why I started all this. My, hey, th my theory is that people start believing their, uh, their, their clickbait headlines. They become fans of their yeah. own brand. Yeah. And they just can't come off of it because, I don't know, face, whatever. You yeah. know, like... All those things. There's... um. So there's a lot to unpack there, Mike, and you brought up a lot of really good points. Uh, I think that, honestly, the number of people who know they are straight up lying to people and scamming them is actually small. Yeah. That being said, it doesn't mean that they're not scamming them. Uh, it means that they have somehow done mental gymnastics <laughs> into convincing themselves that scamming is okay. Yeah. Um, what they are scamming is okay. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say I, I, I'm not making any claims about CBD oil. I don't think there's enough research out there to make claims out of the way on it, but let's say I decide, okay, I want to make some money. This seems like a good thing. And I've taken it before and I've felt something, right? <laughs> so I go into selling CBD oil, right? And all these, these research studies start coming out showing that it doesn't do anything. Let, let's let's say that for example for anxiety for example but i'm getting all these messages from people who buy my products oh you know i felt so much better after i took your product etc etc well it's so easy for someone to just because especially if you're not a scientist you just go well the science hasn't caught up to it or you know they must have done the studies wrong or something like that or you know, i'm getting results from people so right i'm, I'm getting results yeah. so what does it matter right and I think one of the things that people have a really poor understanding of is just 
how powerful your own beliefs about something are. It is more powerful than drugs. Uh, let me give an example to that. So actually, shout out to Greg Knuckles. He covered this on his podcast. It's where I heard it. Give credit where credit's due. Um, there was a study where they looked at people who were naturally, I'm just going to use one. They, they tested a lot of things, but they looked at naturally low or high secretors of ghrelin. Are you guys familiar with ghrelin? Yeah, our listeners may not be, but yeah, it's true. Yeah, it, it, makes, it makes you hungry, basically. A hormone that, that makes you hungry, right? So they, they took these people and they randomized them into basically four groups. Low ghrelin told they had low ghrelin. Low ghrelin told they had high ghrelin. High ghrelin told they had low ghrelin. High ghrelin told they had high ghrelin. What they found was it did not, and they looked at like their, their over time, they looked at how hungry they were, that sort of thing. Also, they looked at their actual levels of the hormone. It did not matter what their genetics were. What matters was what they told them. Oh. And even so far as their actual levels of the hormone changed. Yeah, that's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. So your beliefs are literally that powerful. And this is why we do double blind randomized control trials, because the reason you randomize is because if you're just, if you allow people to select or whatever, you might get people selecting into a certain diet or trial or whatever who have similar characteristics. And that's innately why they chose that. Right? So it's important to randomize because then you can assume that any difference you see in the trial is due to your treatment effect and not due to just inherent differences, which is what we see in epidemiology, right? We say, well, you know, this is associated with, like we know, for example, processed meat is associated with cancer very strongly. But what we have less knowledge of is, okay, people who eat processed meat also don't eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. They tend to exercise less. They tend to smoke more, all that kind of stuff. And you can, you can separate out some of those confounding variables, but it's very difficult. Whereas randomization gets rid of all that, right? The problem with randomization is you can't have a lot of people. It costs more to do the studies, all that, all that sort of thing. And double blind placebo is important because not only do the people not know which treatment they're getting, the researchers don't know which treatment they are giving to the individuals, which is very important because it's so easy for a researcher to bias them just by saying, oh, are you feeling better? Oh, yeah, 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 I'm feeling better, right? So they could just ask every single person in the group who got a treatment if they want to prove it works, hey, do you feel better? So that's yeah. why double-blind randomized control trials are kind of the, the you know, the, the star, uh, the gold star of research. But some things you can't do those trials on or you can't get enough subjects to really show what you want or you can't do it long enough. Um, and I always tell people, I'll let you go after this. Sorry, I realize I've been going on for a while. <laughs> I always tell people if you if you want if you want a large number of human subjects, it's either not going to be very long. If, if it's a large number of human subjects and it's well controlled, it's not going to be long. It's going to be one day, right? If you want a large number of human subjects and you want it to go for a long period of time, it's going to be very uncontrolled. If you want it to be very tightly controlled, it's going to be a low subject number. And if you want it tightly controlled and you want it for a long period of time, it is going to be animals. 
So, uh, and people say, well, why, why didn't they do it for this period of time? Or why didn't they get more money, 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 and money? And people have no concept of how, like I'll give you an example, a metabolic ward trial where they have eight subjects, people go, well, eight subjects. A metabolic ward trial is where they're, they're, they are assessing every single piece of food people eat, the exact calorie content, macronutrient content. They're also like having their metabolic rate assessed like during the day. They're collect a lot of cases, they're collecting their stool, their urine, their sweat, like everything <laughs> is controlled. You don't need a lot of subjects to get differences if you see treatment differences. Um, and the reason that they do that is because metabolic wards are food jail. If you're there for four weeks, guess what? You're not leaving, right? You can't, like, I always tell people, I'm like, okay, so who's signing up for that? You're going to donate your four weeks where they tell you what, what to eat and you can't go outside? Because I'm pretty sure you're not, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's just people don't, and even that study would be, you know, six figures easily, probably closer to half a million or a million dollars. It's it's incredibly expensive, time-consuming, and people like, for example, uh, our friend Bill Campbell, he just wants people to come in to like train, just go in and train, and like the equipment's there, the people are going to help you, and they have like a 40% dropout rate because people just don't even want to come in and like get assessed, hmm. you know what I mean? So it's very, very difficult. These research studies are very difficult to get done. Did you have something, Holly? <laughs> okay. No. Anything, about, anything about placebo? No. <laughs> so, but, but basically, the cognitive dissonance is real, and placebo or the power of suggestion is enormously powerful. Uh, and uh, one more thing with that, they there was a study a while back where they took um, it was in politics, but they showed either Republicans and Democrats, both people, both groups, they showed them data that would either refute or support a position that they held. What they found was that both were equally effective at making people basically get further entrenched in their beliefs. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so if you showed somebody something that refuted their opinion, it actually made them, it was just as powerful as confirming it. Yeah. It made them get that much more entrenched. Yeah. So I don't know, people say, how do we fix this? I don't know you can. I think that in order to overcome cognitive bias, it's got to be, you just have to be a certain personality style that questions things, even your own, even your own bias. Yeah, it's so interesting because like the term be open-minded and then like all these things are thrown around left and right. And if some, you know, preliminary science is telling us like people just can't literally be open-minded. Yeah. Now we're fucked. Well, I already knew we were fucked. Now we're really fucked. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, that astonishes me about, uh, uh, people who have platforms who are doing the kind of both sides yeah, yeah. issues, you know, are like, oh, well, I, we, you know, this is a person has an appointing po po uh, point of view. We're going to bring them on and have them talk about whatever, whatever, without taking the step of is what they're talking about, like lining up with any kind of science right now, or is it yeah. all just conjecture? And is it insane? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think any of this could be solved through like, uh, like, um, 
I know you have a couple kids, like young education. Uh, that's something like I'm really passionate about. I went to a really weird school. My mom was a, a, a teacher for 25 years. And I like to think, and obviously I haven't been through some of these political <laughs> studies, but I like to think I'm open-minded and I like to take in a lot of stuff. Like I watch a lot of like really hard-leaning left stuff on my TV and then I'll go in my car and rush Limbaugh's on. And then I like to make my decision through some of that world. And I, I, I don't really associate with any party and i like to think it's some of my education it's called it, rudolf steiner was the philosopher and he has some quacky things in himself that are not very sciencey by any means but his general philosophy is just try to teach you how to learn rather than teach you how to memorize in, in the basic terms and it's a lot more complicated than that do you think there's some hope for hum- give me some hope friends that maybe <laughs> that maybe kids could learn how to be open-minded You know, I think a lot of people kind of come into the nutrition space um, and they've obviously heard something from someone, uh, whether that is in the classroom or whether it's a social media influencer. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. There's some rationale or logic behind it. um, And then they'll kind of jump on that bandwagon. And I know like initially so many people kind of um, kind of fell into that trap of like clean eating, Mm -hmm. like as a really good example. It's like, well, you cannot have any of these processed, highly refined uh, sugary foods. Uh, because obviously they are causing you to you know, gain body fat. Um, but then over time, I think as people do learn and become more educated about things, um, particularly when it comes to the, I guess, the topic of energy balance and kind of what goes into that, um, well, now they've got more tools, they've got a better understanding, and then they can kind of make, like they can progress their own knowledge and thoughts. So I think a lot of the initial um, you know, fad diets, they probably come out of good justification. There's some reason behind it because we've seen success, but, you know, science does continue to progress. And I think depending on where you are on your learning journey, it's kind of where you're going to fall into it. And some people don't continue to want to learn. They kind of, they're happy where they are and they don't want to progress their knowledge. And that's, I don't know whether that's just a behavioral thing or a characteristic of their own personality, but, um, I think knowledge absolutely can help this and not everyone has access to all of that. So it, it really does make it really challenging. That kind of brings I it. Think, um, Go ahead. I think if I had to, if I like, let's say I'm King tomorrow and I'm in charge of the school systems. All right. Um, I think one of the things I would really teach is just basic logic, right? That's not taught. Um, just, a basic understanding of, okay, what is the way that you should approach a learning situation, right? What is actually evidence? Uh, Right down to, you know, some people don't understand the the whole, I get this all the time, right? Well, you can't prove this doesn't do that. Like, so the person makes a claim and I say, I show evidence that their claim is false but then they kind of double back and say, well, you can't prove that it's not this, right? And I'll say, well, I also can't prove that there's not a teacup orbiting Saturn, <laughs> but I'm relatively confident that there's not a teacup orbiting Saturn. Does that, does that make sense? You know, so it, it's kind of like, but people use that as a, a go-to default. I think our defaults are fallacies, actually, yeah. when we go into debates. And you have to have that trained out of you. You know, you have to have that trained out of you. Because I don't get me wrong. I've wanted to straw man people and ad hominem, and sometimes I do. But um, you know, I, I I try to really stay focused on the evidence, you know, and that's that's and I I don't, you know, I've had some people say, well, this person 
Like even if it's somebody, I, I mean, I've had it where I've advocated for people who I don't even like, you know, who, and somebody to say, because they'll bring up something that doesn't even make sense evidence-wise. I say, okay, well, but, but what does the evidence say, you know? And I, I think that that's just really hard for people to, to understand just the basics of logic and how evidence works. And I agree that having an open mind is important. But if you're too open-minded, what you do is you just, you don't even know. You would just basically have your world, if you were completely open-minded, you'd have your world turned over every time a new study mm. came out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, you would feel like you're on the ocean and there's 10-foot waves. They're just sloshing you one side to the other, right? So I think when it comes to being open-minded, I know this isn't an empirical formula, but I like the statement, be open-minded, but not so open-minded that your brain falls out, <laughs> right? So um, that's why I say I don't get excited about single studies, right? Because we've just, yes, can a single study be manipulated? Yes, absolutely. And we've seen that. Does a body of evidence get manipulated? Not so much. That's That's why replication is the mother of all science, because how many like supplement ingredients do we see that a study comes out that shows it does something and then we never hear from it again, right? Um, what, what is the stuff that, but where something like creatine, you literally have thousands of data points. We feel very confident. It's not, it's not steroids, but we feel very confident that it is an, it is an effective ergogenic aid, right? If, Tomorrow, a study came. There's studies out there that showed creatine didn't do anything for a certain population in a study, right? So why do we think that creatine still does something? Well, because if we look at the consensus of the data, if we look at the overall amount of data, we see that overall it seems to definitely do something, right? But even see, as a scientist, I can't bring myself to say, Yes, it does this. Yeah. I have to say, it seemingly does this. We think it does this. It appears to do this. Mm. Because I'm still leaving myself an open that it might not do that, right? Because this is just how science works. Now, am I am I confident? Yes, I'm pretty confident. So if a study comes out tomorrow that says, okay, we gave these people creatine, they didn't increase lean body mass, I go, okay, all right. Now, if a thousand studies come out, and all of a sudden we've got more data showing it doesn't do this compared to it does, then I might have to rethink my position on it, right? But I think that that's really looking at, like I tell people, I was talking about this the other day, my, my level of evidence is okay. First off, I go to the systematic reviews and the meta-analyses, right? What do those say? And do they agree, right? So that's like uh, fiber, for example, you know, <laughs> Again, I hate to pick on – actually, I don't hate to pick on Saul. You know, <laughs> when I was on debate with him, he was like, yeah, well, you know, those meta-analyses are great, but that's all epidemiology. And here's this one study in people who are constipated that showed that fiber made it worse. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but this isn't like, yes, I, I don't uh, – you know, epidemiology isn't my favorite thing in the world. But when it's every single systematic review and meta-analysis over hundreds of thousands, if not millions of data points, yeah, I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that fiber is good for us, you know? Um, but so systematic reviews, meta-analyses, 
then I look at, okay, what does the scientific consensus of the community say, right? Then if there's still, if I'm still kind of conflicted, what do the most tightly controlled studies say? So if I don't have the meta-analyses or there's not, there's, you know, there's argument, okay, what do the really tightly controlled randomized control trials say? And then if I still don't have any kind of like clarity, then I go, okay, we don't know. And you're really going through like from from the theory all the way down to the the operational um, uh, aspect of it. Like, what change am I going to make based on this information? And you're just sort of narrowing it down about how reliable it is to you based on your your reading of it and deciding whether or not you're going to change your diet or change your exercise or change your sleep pattern or whatever based on what you just read. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, I always tell people, I'm like, listen, you don't have to feel attacked just because it says this, you don't have to do it. <laughs> right. You know? Like, like I, I, I recognize that my diet is probably not the absolute best diet it could possibly be, but guess what? I'm also looking at my quality of life and how much I enjoy things. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if you want the best do everything overall for your lifestyle, then you're probably never going to drink or enjoy a cigar like I like to do or, you know, that kind of stuff. So like I, I make sure my big shit is in check. You know what I mean? Like my list is six things long for me. Don't smoke. Don't eat like an asshole. Limit alcohol consumption. Exercise regularly. Get enough sleep and try to limit your stress. And to me, based on what I've seen, that is 95% of it right there. And then if you if you got that stuff in check, great. But I see so many people who flip the fuck out over, you know, small differences in dietary preferences and whatnot. Meanwhile, they sleep four hours and drink all the time, you know, or, or use recreational drugs. And it's like, okay, you know, like let's let's – I think you got your, your, your boxes out of order there. Yep. So, That's what's interesting with the you know, internet and all these, you know, I think you even mentioned some carnivore guy now eating tubs of honey for some whatever <laughs> logical reason he can make up with. Like, what's really going on in these people's lives? Yeah. Or Like, you, are you really eating ribeye five times a day? Like, I just don't believe it. That's the truth. And how long have you actually done that? And do you, if you honestly believe that is the best thing, and like if I'm so going back to the power of the mind, if I if I'm guarantee myself that just eating ribeye all day long will make me live longer, happier, be wealthier, better looking, I'll probably do it. Like you have to, you know what I mean? Like if you're ultra convinced, but I just don't even yeah. think these people are ultra convinced. I, they're for sure having alcohol. They're for sure slamming some cereal. Well, yeah, I mean like r rumor, but probably fact. Um, uh, someone shared with us that they were having dinner with someone who is an advocate of a particular kind of diet and they included in this meal something that is not part of this sure. particular diet and was asked about it and said hey why why are you because that's not really part of you know this plan that you know it's like yeah you know what but i eat that still yeah, it's like uh, well, yeah. which is fine. It's fine, but but don't but what, draw these lines. Yeah, then. you're representing something entirely different. Yeah, yeah, and that's the same yeah. thing with everything. Like how you carry yourself online should be very similar. And I can uh, for sure uh, put that up for Lane. Like who Lane is online yeah, is very yeah, similar who he is in person. Like if you just do that, you can make me happy. 
Yeah. I don't, I don't give a fuck if you're wrong, if you're a bitch, if you're dumb. <laughs> just be dumb in person and online. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. But I think over time, like, it would become difficult if you are kind of portraying something that's not going on at home. Like, it's going to start to become really, like... I don't know, tra- it would feel traumatic. I mean, I had a really similar experience recently, actually. Yeah, but you have a conscience. Yeah, I do have a conscience. <laughs> so, um, obviously, I'm a big advocate for flexible dieting. Um, I was probably someone in my early years, like going into nutrition school, um, that I felt like, okay, there are these, you know, hard to define extremes, like good and bad foods. And I think over time, like, I obviously educated myself and I came to the understanding that, hey, I actually can have whatever I want. I've just got to, everything's got a number attached and there's energy balance and there's this thing. Um, So I was very um, comfortable with that process of flexible dieting for many years. But um, over time, um, especially kind of coming out of the competition world, and I've done five years now of uh, competing as a pro in fitness and uh, figure, And kind of moving out of that, I started to see, I guess, some of the negative consequences that can result from being, you know, incredibly lean. Mm. And I also, um, during that experience, I was finding like, you know, there's so many negative physiological changes that happen, which no one talks about. And there's also a bunch of psychological um, negatives that no one talks about. And I was like, you know, I don't feel very good. I've got like all this stress. I've got like this really big fixation on feeling like I need to look a certain way. Um, there's, you know, fixation and obsession with food, loss of strength, loss of libido, like sleep disruptions. Like there's all of these <laughs> negative things, Lane's here crying, um, all these negative things that kind of resulted from wanting to be stage lead. And very recently, like I have been doing a lot of work myself on kind of body acceptance mm. and being happy with having a higher body fat percentage. And as somebody that's been ultra lean, um, that's been a really challenging change in my life. But if I continue to just try and practice only in my own business, flexible dieting is the only thing. It's just about the numbers. That's it. And I wasn't open to the fact that, hey, you know what? maybe from a physical perspective, like this works, but from the psychological perspective, some of the negative um, health outcomes, mental health outcomes from like constantly restricting. Like if I, if I just wanted to only believe that, like I feel really conflicted and even me, I'm like emerging and changing my own strategies as a dietitian and working as a one-on-one coach to try and like open people's perspective to, hey, you know, this is a really good thing and it can work for so many people. But hey, did you know that there's this psychological aspect of health, like your your mental health that you can also work on to feel better, to achieve that like ideal. Mm. So I think like thinking about some of these like zealots, there are a lot of people that kind of get really hooked in on at that certain way of thinking. And like over time that if, if you had a conscience, like, even me, I couldn't just continue to practice the way that I was, knowing there are other options. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think that one, that's because you're a genuine person. Um, and yeah, you just, you observe, like she even changed her uh, name of her series that she was doing because it was Fat Loss with Carbon, which is our nutrition app. And she's like, well, I'm not really actively trying to lose fat right now, so I can't really call it that. So, I mean, that's just, you know, but that's, that's, if you were hard lined into it, you would just continue perpetuating certain things and you would just keep throwing up photo shoot images and rather than being, you know, real. Um, 
and there's certainly a lot of that stuff that happens. And uh, yeah, I actually had that experience the other day on, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this, but uh, until recently, after I lost, you know, I came back down from the 105 kilo class, a lot of people were like, oh, how can you give diet advice? You're pudgy, you're fluffy, you're fat. You know, I'm like, hello, body dysmorphic fitness industry. Uh, so I'm actually not fat. I'm actually in a really good body fat, especially if you want to be fucking strong. And I didn't just forget how to diet. I can promise you, you know, um, this is part of a plan and I will be lean again, you know. Well, even but, going uh, deeper and in, going deeper into that, like it's, it's always best, I think, to lead by example and live the life you coach. But you could have all the knowledge and be the best coach in the world and probably not live the best lifestyle, in my personal opinion. And you see that in every sport ever. The yeah. best baseball player was not the best coach. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what Holly was getting at was kind of a whole person approach too, where you're, you can't just, just wall off that part of your body, not, or your mind, not thinking about like what your, your mental, emotional health versus uh, just how lean you look in the mirror and then chasing that, that ideal that you may or may not ever achieve and nobody can sustain over the long haul. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's 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 essentially you're 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 reaching a a peak and then you can't stay on the mountain you've got to come down and like breathe normal air like regular people um some of the time one of the things that you really saw was that because it's the difference when your partner is telling you this versus when you discovered on your own i think a lot of people when when they change their mind it has to be on their own like I, i think very few people actually change their mind when somebody's telling them something, it comes from self-reflection. Um, and so I would, you know, she would, she would, for example, look at some of these different girls who were seemingly lean all year round. And I'm like, babe, they don't have sex. They feel like shit. They're probably an asshole and they probably never go out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always tell people, you might be able to have the physique you want, but it ain't going to be with the lifestyle you want. Cause what looks great feels like shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, there may be, there's probably a few exceptions to that. There are some people who can probably maintain a really lean physique because their, you know, genetics matter. Um, but for the most of us mortals, um, especially drug you know, free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if you're drug free. And I think you finally kind of came to that. You, I mean, you saw a lot of these girls were like, okay, well, let's let's look at their lifestyle. They live alone. They don't have a partner. They have no kids. Um, hmm, I wonder why that is. You know, like. Yeah, there's got to be some kind of sacrifice along that way. Right, and it's and but I'm and I'm I'm not judging a lifestyle, right? Like if someone decides, hey, I just really like being lean. That's the most important thing to me. Hey, it ain't my jam, but hey, whatever. You know, I know what it felt like to be that lean. It ain't fun. Um, I'd rather lift some heavy shit and be pretty lean and look good at the beach rather than being, you know, dick skin shredded. <laughs> And, uh, and and not actually be able to use my dick. <laughs> well, <I could> not. <laughs> That's like, somebody like messaged us, like they're talking about fit couples and they were like, oh, you know, or I forget what it was, but somebody's talking about fit couples and kind of like had this idea that like they're having sex all the time and all this. And we're like, yeah, no, yeah. they never touch each other, you know? Um, looks good for the photos. Looks good for photos. Yeah, exactly. It looks good on magazine covers where the girls like grabbing the really muscular guy. In reality, they're both just thinking about food. Yeah. Um, I think 
add to that. I know um, I've been speaking about it a lot lately because it's definitely like prevalent in my life and my the people that I work with. But um, going back to like that extremist mindset, like there's also a, a, there's the fitness community and there's this diet community. Um, but then there's also this anti-diet, hard, yes. um, really like Results. attacking. And it's like if you have the desire even to change your body, there's something person. wrong with you. Yeah. And it's, you know, very critical. So there's I've, I've listened to a lot of this stuff. Um, and some of the points that they make are really like genuine. Like I've really listen to some of these like bigger body individuals and they're like, you know, I'm truly happy. Um, yes, I have a bigger body, but you know, generally we're looking at biomarkers that are a reflective measure of your health. They have nothing wrong. Like their lipids are good. Their cholesterol is low. They've got, you know, their, um, you know, any of the measures that we, we can look at to assess your general health, they're great. And they're living in a great body. It's like, I don't see the need to change my body. And I'm not sitting here as somebody that's in the, the diet community going, well, you should change. Like, right. that's not what it's about. Um, but I think it's really cool that for some of these people that maybe have struggled with changing their weight um, in the past, I think there are nuanced, um, you know, scientifically proven things that we can do nowadays, which is awesome, that might actually make it a lot easier. And I think even just the term of our the new – um, method of thinking around like the reverse dieting concept and knowing that there is metabolic adaptation mm. and that we can actually coax our metabolism back to a really good place. One, if you can be patient and like have the willpower to do that, like maybe you can make some improvements. And I guess a lot of these concepts um, haven't been known and they're not, they haven't been around for a very long time. So I think people have just kind of launched themselves off the deep end. It's like, well, that's never going to happen. So I'm not even going to bother trying. Um, and again, that's like such an extremist approach, but there is somewhere in the middle that you can find balance. <laughs> but you can see the you can see the commonality thread. I mean, that's a great example of the the health at every size community uh, haze. Is that the concept originally was okay? Even if you are overweight or obese, there's no reason you can't practice healthy habits and be healthy at that size. And I think there's some validity to that that there is evidence that like, for example, you don't need to lose very much weight in order to have a big impact on your health. And you can be obese and your uh, health markers still be healthy. So I think there's some validity to that. But so this is an example of you're somebody who identifies with that and you, you like that. Okay. But then that's not enough. It's not enough for that to be it. What the next step is, well, diets don't work. Calorie deficits don't work. Um, you know, nobody should diet. And if you diet, there's something wrong with you. You know, so it goes all the way from a good idea, low carb, for example, right? So I, I have a, I think I had like a, the, you know, the clown meme where it gets more and more, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. It's like, I like eating low carbohydrate as a way to control my appetite and hunger. Next one down. Eating low carbohydrate uh, is a way for me to control my calories. Next one down. Insulin makes you fat in a calorie deficit. Last one, carbs are fattening them. You know, so it's like a lot of these movements, if you're not careful, and I'll give you one instance where I almost got kind of into cognitive dissonance. So I like, I like to shoot uh, handguns, rifles. I love tactical shooting. It's one of my favorite things in the world. It's one of the only things where I like zone out and actually just enjoy it. Um, and I'm a, I 
believe in the Second Amendment. So I'm a, that's that's kind of my bias coming from that background. I'm sure I just lost and alienated 50 percent of the listeners, which is great. Um, so I was a member of the NRA for a while and I found myself starting to gravitate towards an echo chamber where I because I agreed with one thing or a couple things, I was more willing to be accepting of all things. Right. And eventually I checked myself and I'm like, wait a minute, what the fuck am I talking about? I don't believe this. You know what I mean? Like, so I actually, uh, you know, I still am a believer in the Second Amendment, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I still enjoy tactical shooting, but I acknowledge, you know, points that people make on the other side. Okay, I get it. That's downside. All right. Here's what I think the upsides are to it. And hey, if you don't like it, that's fine. You know, but it's it's almost like where, you know, in that community, just like any other community, it's not it's not. Oh, it's not. Guns aren't, you know, increasing the risk of homicide. In fact, in fact, if you have more guns, it actually makes everything safer, you know. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I actually believe that, <laughs> you know, like. Um, and I think, you know, what happens is you'll get alienated by the echo chamber if you acknowledge anything from the other side right right it's and again i don't want to get too much into politics but you know for whatever reason you see this happen in politics like donald trump's for whatever reason hitched his wagon to hydroxychloroquine <laughs> yeah right which if you look at the research data if you are otherwise healthy and young and you give, and they give it to you early enough, it appears like it might help things a little bit. But in one of the studies, it actually increased mortality, and it certainly doesn't seem like a cure, right? Mm. Now, there may be some people who benefit more from it than others because everybody has differential responses to drugs and whatnot, but it certainly doesn't seem like a cure at best. It seems like it may have mild benefits for people who get it early enough, right? But it's like, well, like you said, we can't walk it back now, right? And then... The entire party, the entire echo chamber has to get behind that. By the way, for anybody listening, I align more closely with Republican values than I do with Democratic values. So I just call out bullshit where I see it. So I apologize in advance. Um, actually, no, I don't apologize. Take that back. But you, you see this. People who get sucked into echo chambers and it becomes not only is what I like the best thing, everything else is the worst thing. Right. Not only is low carb better for you, LDL, you actually want it higher. You know, you don't want low LDL because it's associated with decreased cancer or, or increased cancer. You want you want high LDL. You want to push that LDL up and they ignore the body of research that shows, well, LDL is causative for cardiovascular disease. Pretty clear. Um, and the research on cancer actually shows that LDL drops in response to the development of that illness, not that can't, not that LDL causes cancer, because when you looked at Mendelian randomization studies, I'm going to talk about this today. So Mendelian randomization studies look at n people who secrete naturally more or less of, you know, certain hormones or metabolites, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And it's nice because it's basically a lifelong randomized control trial because, you know, the, the variants, the gene variants don't affect other biomarkers. So when they look at these, they don't uh, people who secrete low cholesterol versus high cholesterol. There's, there's really no difference in cancer risk. And in fact, there's actually a small increased cancer risk with high HDL 
and with uh, high LDL. So um, yeah, so you just don't see that, but they ignore that body of research because it's not enough to say, well, you know, low carb seems to be good for this, but it's probably not the best thing for this. No, it has to be, it's the best thing for everything. And anything that shows it might not be the best thing, well, it's actually wrong. The science is wrong and the government's involved in the conspiracy and like it just goes down the rabbit hole. It seems to be getting worse and maybe it's just because the internet and the popularity and obviously more extreme things kind of are happening on like a global level. But is there any way besides self-awareness to get around this? Like you said, you start digging in some NRA stuff and maybe you saw, you're like, all right, fuck it. I'm all NRA. You got the NRA tattoo I saw. And then, and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, I don't know if I believe everything. Don't, uh, don't tread on me. <laughs> and then maybe you see, you know, you're like, well, I don't believe this necessarily. Like besides self-awareness and like, I mean, you as a person, you know, I don't want to overly judge you, but it seems like you're always searching and you're always searching for the truth. So for you to come across some NRA stuff and be like, ah, that's actually not what I believe doesn't surprise me at all. But how does the average person do that? I think the average person just doesn't. I think I, well, <laughs> we're I, fucked. At least a segment of society does the cult of personality thing. They're like, I identify with this person for whatever reason, yeah. and I'm going to buy hook, line and sinker everything they sell me. And then there's no yeah. fix. We're yeah. fucked. Yeah. I've, I've, even, I've even had people say, you know, when you say something, Lane, I know you're 100% legit. I don't even question. I'm like, God damn it. This, no, 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 God damn it. Yeah. No, you, you, you have not been paying attention. <laughs> like I have, we have our own biases. We have our own biases. Every, anybody who says they don't have bias is full of shit. But we try to be honest about those biases and state them up front. You know, and that's and I think that's the difference. Yeah, but, we'll just pre present the alternatives. Like I think people really think that we are kind of anti keto, anti intermittent fasting. Like, but no, that's not the case. Like if someone came to us and was like, okay, well I really want to practice this. Well, then you're just going to present them with all the options and say, well, here's what we know about this. Here's what we know about this. You can now make that decision since you now have that knowledge. But I think as a community, like we generally want to feel like we're a part of something. Yes. And like tribalism. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's where that all stems from. it's us versus them you know like that, but that's a lot of it you, you, we didn't even touch on the tribalistic factor of it of echo chambers um yeah it's just i think i think social media makes it a little bit worse because you your feed is curated to you mm. so you start to think everyone thinks like that and then when you're exposed to people who don't think that way you have a visceral reaction because you're like how the fuck could anybody think this way you know um, but yeah, I, I don't know how to fix it. I guess what I would, you know, teach emotional intelligence is that, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, you know, narcissism exists on like varying levels. And unfortunately when you're a cult of personality, right. Um, you're being told how great you are all the time in that echo chamber. And if you're not leaving it, you start to buy into that. Right. Um, fortunately, I am the tip of the spear in terms of calling out bullshit. So I basically get told how shit I am all the time. <laughs> so I don't usually have that problem of, of thinking my shit doesn't stink. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult to get around that because as you said, Mike, uh, or was it Jim? I forget who said it, but you know, you identify with a certain person personality and then you just buy into them. You know, it's like growing up, for example, you know, I had my favorite baseball player, my favorite basketball player. If you had told me something negative about them, I would not have believed it, right? 
Like, but look at these athletes who get arrested, for example, or celebrities who get arrested, arrested, and 90% of society makes up their mind immediately whether or not they're guilty or innocent, yeah, yeah. right? Like, I, without I, any facts. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm over here like, uh, can I wait to give my opinion? You know, like when this whole, um, um, you know, George Floyd thing went down. People were like, well, aren't you going to make a statement? I'm like, I don't know what the fuck happened, man. Give it like, uh, yeah, I'm not down with racism. Fuck that. But I, I don't know if the cop was racist. I'm not in his mind. Maybe he just fucked up and made a really, really fucking poor choice. I don't know. You know what I mean? But if you say something like that, which I'll probably get shit for saying it now. But if you say something like that, you're just going to get fucking destroyed. You know what I mean? So... It's really unfortunate that we've gotten to a place where it's like you've got to make snap judgments and it's one side or the other and there is no in between. You know, I'm like, you realize like it's impossible to say that or it's possible to say that like low carb diet can work for people who a low fat diet didn't work for. But it also might not be the very best thing for cardiovascular disease. But hey, if it helps you lose weight and keep it off, it's probably better than not being able to do it at all. Yeah. Right. Like there's some nuance in that. And it's just it's just in any social issue, any kind of issue whatsoever. It's so hard to get any kind of nuance out of people. Well, that's what brings us back to Kevin Bass's list of, you know, a bunch of people in that in that Twitter thread are saying, well, I lost, you know, X number of pounds following one of those quacks, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's like, OK, well, here's the thing. For once in your life, you applied discipline to your diet. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's discipline. You know, somebody's yeah. somebody's um, uh, theory, you applied it with vigor in your life and you lost weight. That's great. That's awesome. Um, well, it's kind of a it's kind of a straw man argument, right? Like you're you're what we're saying there. So this is where people there's what you say and there's what somebody hears. And those are two different things. Yeah. So if I say, well, a low carb diet isn't magic. It doesn't raise your resting metabolic rate. It's not metabolically superior to a calorie protein equated high or high carb, low fat diet. What people hear is low carb diet doesn't work. That's what Lane said. It can't work. Well, I lost 50 pounds. Well, I bet you did. That's great. That's fabulous. Fuck yeah. But just because you lost 50 pounds doesn't mean I'm going to stand up here and accept somebody talking bullshit about the fact that insulin makes you store fat in a calorie deficit. Like, I'm sorry. I'm just not down with it. Uh, you know, I'm just no matter what it is. I mean, I even stood up for the ketogenic diet at a conference years ago. Uh, Dom D'Agostino and I were on a panel, and somebody's like, well, we know the ketogenic diet impairs endurance performance. And at the time, we didn't know that. Now there's actually some research that seems to suggest that it does have a slight impairment of certain endurance performance. But I said, well, I don't think that's necessarily true. We don't really, you know, the data is pretty equivocal right now. Um, so there I was, you know, standing up for a diet that I supposedly hate, you know. <laughs> And um, I just, I'm like, if you've even been paying attention, the problem is, is people listen to their own echo chamber, right? So the way they're, what I say, the way it's framed in an echo chamber is going to be, Lane says low carb doesn't work, that, you know, all your experiences are lies, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so people don't actually have, actually bother to read what I've written and you know debate that and then when i kind of you know corner them with logic 
they either lash out with ad hominems, uh, conspiracy theories, or they just don't say anything anymore at all. Yeah, that's that sends me. How, it tends to be how it goes. You were mentioning your uh, carbon diet app earlier. Give us the elevator pitch on that. Sorry, that again. <laughs> carbon diet coach. What's the what's the? Give me your sixty second pitch on it. Oh wow. Uh, okay, so it is a. Uh, I guess an it has an algorithm behind it. Uh, it was written by myself, Lane, and Keith uh, Craker. Um, it essentially coaches you for fat loss. It can coach you for reverse dieting, so to help restore your metabolism. Uh, it can also coach you to build muscle. Um, it is. It has a built-in coaching uh, section where every week you would check in like you would with your a regular coach. It's in one-on-one. It responds to your individual body changes. It's not cookie cutter. There's nothing, um, I guess, like ordered about it. It is purely responding to your body changes and uh, makes adjustments to your nutrition um, if you need it. Uh, it also has a really cool built-in um, tracking component uh, that has some awesome features that allow you to practice calorie cycling, if you like. Uh, it gives people options to uh, work within their preferences for their diet. So it has options if you are a ketogenic fan, you're really a big advocate of, say, um, uh, veganist diet, vegetarian, um, there's balanced options, there's low carb, high fat options. So it really caters to the individual's um, dietary needs in order to help you achieve results. So basically, we, we tried to take our coaching and package it into an app. So we said, all right, if we were going, we, when we were creating this algorithm, uh, you know, people sign up for it and then they, they'll do a calc, you know, they'll do like an initial calculation or something like that. And they'll go, oh, well, that seems a little bit off. And then they'll think that's all the app is. Yeah. No, um, just like if I was a coach and you came to me and said, I want to lose weight. Okay, I'm going to take your information in. I'm going to give you an initial plan. But if you aren't responding appropriately to that plan, I'm going to adjust that plan, which is exactly what the app does. So the real value in the app is not, you know, that it gives you a macro calculation. You go to find plenty of free websites that will do that. Uh, one, they weren't made by us. And I'd like to think our coaching credential pedigree is pretty high. Um, but also the adjustments, the fact that it's going to learn you over time, right down to on the back end and even displaying to you, the app is calculating your total daily energy expenditure based on the amount of calories you consume versus how your weight changes and then averaging that over multiple weeks to flush out any kind of like wild variations because that's what's going to happen because you as you know your weight fluctuates right. but over the course of weeks and months of tracking this it's going to like really nail down your total daily energy expenditure and that's why people say well do i need to account for my exercise no because the app inherently is going to do that based on the way your body weight responds and at every level of writing the algorithm for this application we ran test cases and said okay let's not only was this the right adjustment would we have done this as coaches like so if we if we did something and it came up in a way that the logic was not something we would have done as coaches we went okay we need to go back to the drawing board and figure out how to make this work so um yeah as far as the the quick pitch we have 15,000 members in less than three months and our app rating is 4.8 stars on the app store so nice. if anybody's ever produced an app, you know how hard it is to get good ratings. And um, I think anybody would be, uh, you know, for $9.99 a month, it's hard to beat 
uh, customized nutrition coaching that uh, goes on this guy right here. And we do have uh, a food tracker as part of it, but the food tracker is, by the way, a lot of people have said, wow, this food tracker is way better than my fitness pal. Um, but the coaching component is what really, what really makes it work. So that's, we're very proud of that. That is, you know, many years in the, in, in the making and, uh, people are loving it right now, which is really cool. Awesome. Well, you guys have been very generous with your time. Uh, where can people find you both? Mm -hmm. Um, I am on many platforms. I think YouTube and Instagram are my biggest, uh, I Don't message her on Facebook. She will get back to you. Uh, so my both handles are Holly T. Baxter. I didn't really talk much today because my husband is a talkaholic. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think um, <laughs> that's probably the most most um, popular spots. We have a page which has uh, all of our educational books and our material um, and access to the app. So that is www.biolane.com forward slash IG. So you can get our books on reverse dieting, uh, fat loss, contest prep, um, and then any of our other, I guess, stuff. Yeah, I'm BioLane on most every platform, and I, I do talk a lot, but my lovely wife, uh, she's the color commentator of our duo. And she, uh, <laughs> did you guys ever see Major League? Yes. Movie? Do you remember Major League 2, where uh, Bob Euchre passes out and Monty has to take over? Yes. And Monty, there's a, like a screaming line drive, and the guy dives and catches it, and he says, fly ball. <laughs> that's you babe <laughs> no, I'm just kidding I'm just kidding no I think it's you know actually what I love about our podcast is that like just the difference in personality actually really makes it fun and the fact that people are going to get to know us over time and know that okay Holly only talks when she's really excited about something Otherwise, she just lets Lane ramble on until she like inserts like some kind of fact that makes Lane kind of stumble over his words and go, "Oh shit, I hadn't really thought about that." <laughs> so I, I think it's uh, definitely I, people who are listening. You're gonna love our podcast, Beauty and the Geek. If you're looking for me specifically, don't go to me. Go to her, Holly T. Baxter. She got way more good stuff than me. But if you still want to go find my stuff, if you don't hate me after listening to me talk about guns and Trump on here. <laughs> That um, my you can find me at BioLane on all the platforms, and um, as far as like the stuff we sell, uh, Carbon Diet Coach, you know I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, you can find it on iOS and Android. So if you just search Carbon Diet Coach, or if you want to go to our website, it's joincarbon.com. Uh, our educational books you can find at BioLaneStore.com. Uh, we I do have two courses right now um, called The Science of Nutrition and Training the Physique Athlete that both have uh, nothing but five-star reviews on Google, um, and that's with uh, Clean Health Fitness Institute. So you can find those courses on cleanhealth.com.edu.au. Uh, they're an Australian company that helped me put them together, and they're freaking awesome. So people for a long time have asked, hey, how can I learn from you if I can't make it to a seminar? Learn at your own pace from home on any device. It's awesome. They did an amazing job with this with this course. And then um, we do have a, uh, a supplement coming that's going to be coming out soon called Outward Nutrition. So we're not we're not really busy. We, uh, <laughs> Casual. Time and, and sleep. Uh, but uh, Outward Nutrition, our our motto is uh, it's not we're not magic. This stuff only works if you do. But we're going to give you some products that allow you to train harder, recover better, hopefully uh, build some more muscle and strength in the process. 
Awesome. I can uh, just say that Beauty and the Geek comes out tomorrow, Thursday, and every other week, yeah. right? That's that's the frequency we decided on, right? Every other week? Yeah, it's bi-weekly, yeah. Uh, excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. 50% Facts every single Wednesday. I'm Silent Mike, wherever you want to find me. I am at the Jim McD on all the social medias. This show is 50% Facts, where percent is a word, 50 is just numbers, and the website's the same, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot, guys. guys. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah.